So the way you figure this out is you don't don't do the test. Otherwise, you're just doing the big five personality traits, which is a separate thing, which you should do, and it's more valid. But if you're doing MBTI, it's like it's your cognitive functions. If you're an ENTP, your dominant cognitive function is extroverted intuition, which is schizophrenia. I don't know. Let's see. I was in journalism. I read a book called Kill All Normies by Angela Nagel. And I was like, huh, this is an interesting book. Because, um, like, I was a self-identified centrist at the time. And then uh, I read uh, Joshua Citarella's Post Left and the Politogram, something like that. It was like a PDF. And then I made I made a few videos, and those videos took off, featuring the political compass. Because that was, that was another part of it, just, like, getting into it through political compass memes. And then after that took off, I, I just had to learn more because that's what people were interested in. So I was like, okay, I'll learn more about this stuff. And then I did. Hi, hi, welcome, welcome. This is the From the New World podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Greg, or Greg Guevara. He's a YouTube satirist, and in my opinion, a very excellent political commentator. Although much of it is uh, very indirect, as you'll see in the show. He's known for several series, one called Centricide, in which extremes from all four corners of the political compass uh, team up to take on their common enemy, the centrists. Uh, and another series on mental illness, as well as his recent, uh, quote-unquote, post-ironic run for the mayor of Ottawa. And all of this has been of great interest to me. Now, you might be wondering, from that kind of title, how much of this podcast should I take seriously? How much of this podcast should I take literally? Well, that's up to you to decide, which I guess is something that's quite different than a lot of the episodes on From the New World, but... I think that there are going to be many of you who will see the insights and many of you who are certainly friends, uh, or sorry, fans of Dreg uh, as well. Uh, We discuss uh, various political theories, the post-left, the new rights, the effect of internet, of the internet on how people communicate, on how people form ideologies, some of Dreg's own political transformation, uh, either seriously or ironically, and... uh, Later on, much of the kind of social dynamics and the generational change that we're seeing nowadays, too. As always, if you'd like to help the show, the number one thing you can do, that only you can do, is let a friend know about it. If you enjoy the show, hopefully you do, uh, then the odds are there's someone who you know who has similar habits and similar interests who would also enjoy the show. And not only are you doing a service to us, but you're also doing a service to that person who will enjoy the show. Uh, And speaking of enjoying the show, here is Greg Guevara. So most of the time on this podcast, I start off by asking a question that is true or false, and then we go on completely ignoring the question to discuss something else. But honestly, there there are so many questions that I want to ask in this style that this is just going to turn into the Tyler Cowen podcast, and we're going to play a game of overrated or underrated. Okay. Mayors, overrated or underrated? Oh, like as a, <laughs> I thought you were going to go into specific mayors, and I was just going to say, no. I, don't, I don't, I don't know who this guy is. I don't, I, I, <laughs> Rob um, Ford, yeah. overrated or underrated? Yeah. yeah, that's where I thought that was going. Mayors, cool. <laughs> overrated or underrated? Um, hmm, it's a good question. I'd say, I'd say rated. Yeah, <laughs> correctly rated. Yeah, rated. 
Okay. What do you think your mayor's run was like? Would you call that postmodern, post-ironic? I think you said post-ironic, right? It's post-ironic in, in the sense that it, it seemed like a joke, but I was running on serious policy positions. Yeah. To your audience, to your audience was that um, overrated or underrated? Ah, uh, your mayor's audience. To my audience, did they rate it properly? I'd say I'd say it was rated. I'd say they rated it based off of how much ever it deserved to be rated. Yale Journal of Regulation, overrated or underrated? Mm. See, I I think I think that's rated as well because um, you know it's Yale, which is probably overrated. But then, are we sleeping on the journal, right? Because the journal, I, you know, no people haven't heard about it because it's. Uh, it's not it's not well known enough. So I don't know. I think I'd say that cancels each other out and ends up in rated. By the way, side tangent, I'm on my centrist arc right now. So uh, if, if, they, if I can pick a, a middle point between two extremes, I'm going to. Centrism, overrated or underrated? Rated. Okay. Very centrist answer. Okay. Amazing. Uh, Marshall McLuhan, overrated or underrated? Marshall McLuhan. Uh, hmm. Oh yeah, I know who Marshall McLuhan is. Uh, you know, my good friend Marshall McLuhan. You know, off the top of my head, I just remember that he was a Canadian philosopher whose work is among the cornerstones of the study of media theory, uh, and he studied in the University of Manitoba and University of Cam- Cam- Cambridge. Um, and oh yeah, and then he's he's the medium as, as, as the message guy, right? Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, what I'll say is, uh, I think, I think, uh, I think, part of. You, you can't be an artist that is detached from time, you know, like a lot of the a lot of the great artists had things to say about the mediums that they were working in. Uh, rated. Extreme, <laughs> <laughs> uh, extreme political philosophies, overrated or underrated? Um, you know, extremism is bad. Um, so I'm going to say. I want to say overrated, but, you know, a little bit of extremism to shake up the status quo here and there. I'll say rated. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, so, man, I I did the opposite of what I'm supposed to do, but now I want to pivot off into something that's actually related to the stuff we've been talking about. Um, Actually, let's not do that. So how was your, what did you learn? What was the number one thing you learned from your mayor's run? (sighs) Number one thing I learned. I think the number one thing I learned is... If you don't have a political infrastructure around you and you're trying to run for, for office or whatever uh, as an outsider, it's actually like if, 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 if your goal is to affect political change, the best thing you can do is find someone who has a political infrastructure and just back them. Like right. find someone who is as close to you as you like. You're never going to find someone who's like exactly your ideals. But like if there's and this is this is this is what contributes to a, a two party system is like um it's, it's always going to be easier for you to work within an existing structure than to create your own structure. Um, so basically I learned that and that every politician is either rich or psychotic and you have to be one. Of them. <laughs> um, Are you rich? I'm not rich. So I was just, <laughs> but not even the most psychotic. There were, there were people more psychotic than I and, uh, and, uh, and if I could have done it over again, I probably would have just done a documentary about all the psychos. <laughs> I don't know. You can still you can still do that, right? Do you have campaign footage? 
Yeah, but uh, <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was I was threatened to be sued over if I if I released some of it. So I, I don't want to go there. I don't have enough money. Oh my dang! You know there are quite a lot of wealthy people. There are a lot of venture capitalists in this audience. I would just recommend you know drag mayor of Canada documentary would not be would be a very cool artistic project. Okay. Okay. Um, what do you think of this kind of adoption of a lot of critical theorists by people on the right? <laughs> I think, uh, I think we're in a real, uh, I don't know how else to put it. Real, real. I think the internet's kind of a deterritorializing force. Like it takes all these things that exist and exist in certain contexts. Like, aha, the critical theory is for the left, but oh, okay. Now it's for the right, you know? And it's, it's not like, it's not like it's just one way, like left wingers appropriating like based and cringe and Chad and um, all these right wing terms that happens. That happens that way as well. Um, postmodern right wingism. I don't know. It's pretty whack, pretty whack, uh, but it makes a lot of sense. Like you can postmodernism just a tool like anything else. You can use it for all, all kinds of different, all kinds of different reasons. So I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's. I think I think it's just indicative of a broader trend of everyone deterritorializing everything, and as soon as like one thing becomes like part of one subculture, you know, if it's got legs, it'll eventually propagate up to the surface, and then everyone's going to be using it. But I don't think it's just a simple, you know, neutralization or deterritorialization, though. I think you know, especially the academic left has become pretty, uh, at least in when it comes to like biopower, when it comes to really, you know, like not hidden, very explicit critiques of basically the pandemic infrastructure by people like Foucault and people like Agamben, right? You would have, you have basically a wholesale rejection of it by people on the left, right? Well, what do, you, do you think there's any explanation for that? A wholesale rejection of, of what exactly? By, from people? Of, of biopower critiques. Of biopower critiques. Um, <laughs> uh, let's explain. Uh, yeah, I should probably do this for the audience. As well. I don't, I don't read any books. I'm, I'm not a book reader. Well, actually, now that I'm a centrist, I, I read half. I half read books. Like, I <laughs> okay. So, so Foucault has this idea of biopower, essentially um, the ability of institutions, which uh, essentially prop up or like institutions that publish, you know, like scientific uh, journals, labs, government regulators that put out, you know, basically. Uh, their claim of the truth, right? Their claim of the truth. And Foucault is very skeptical that this is actually the truth and uh, sees a lot of these institutions as basically being used for coercion, uh, especially in the context of basically uh, the biomedical regime. And mm-hmm. um, uh, this this has gotten Foucault adopted on the right for various contemporary reasons. Are they knowingly <laughs> adopting him or like kind of like subconsciously doing it? Some of them are knowingly adopting certainly so a lot of the people i know who are you know more of the kind of like political theory rights you know uh but certainly also i think like there was this ross douthat column who said a lot of people in the trump administration uh wrote essays on foucault and i think he also mentioned that you know like steve ben has an essay on foucault hmm interesting uh well i didn't i didn't I didn't know that. So what's the argument you're making that like the right wingers are like, are there appropriating Foucault who's like a typically associated with the postmodern left? 
it's it's not even just an appropriation, right? Because it's not like it's not like they're like fighting over who gets to make the biopower critique. It's like one one side is saying no, like the bio critique biopower critique is right. One say, side is saying the biopower critique is left. It's like the left wingers just don't make the biopower critique anymore, right? They've kind of like abandoned it. Right, right. Yeah, like you would think you would think that they would. I guess it's like. I don't know. I guess the context of, of when the whole biopower critique was invented was more of like a, a left wing thing. And now it's more of a right wing thing. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I'm not much of a Foucaultist. I say, I say Foucault, Fouc, Foucault. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Um, I mean, what would, uh, like, I guess I, you know, like the, if, if the argument supports a right wing in this context, then the right wing is going to use it. If it supported a left wing in you know, 50 years ago, left wing is going to use it. And also just generally like the ideas of right and left are kind of all murky and shifting around. Right. Yeah. That, that kind of goes against, you know, like the typical political view of things where people say, you know, like the politics is downstream of the ideas. Right. At least some people say that um, they say, you know, like it's because of all of this critical theory that the left is now making the decisions uh, that they do, but it seems like maybe it's the other way around. Right. Is that what you're suggesting? It's been, so uh, hold on. There, there are a lot, a lot of big words being used here. We gotta, we gotta, <laughs> let's take a step back. Okay. So, um, you're saying that, I guess you're saying that I'm saying, okay, you know what? This is too, we're, we're, we're in too deep here. Damn. What, what is, okay. What, what, what is, what is the biopower critique? It's like, People are, you know, well, you you explain it. Let, let, let me hear it. Yeah, I, I think like the easiest, and I'm not, you know, I mostly get this from talking to Jeff Schellenberger, um, but I, I have read, you know, like some of the, I've mostly read like columns that, that like have like Foucault quotes in them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, yeah. now but, you're speaking my language. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I don't know. Do you read, do you read Compact at all? <laughs> no, I don't read. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so, uh, my kind of conceptualization of it, you know, maybe, maybe I should have, you know, I'm just going to DM Jeff Schollenberg. No. Um, so my conception of it is that it's, uh, it's essentially a critique of the built of institutions which produce truth claims, right? Mm-hmm. That, let's say, you know, like the naive view is something like, oh, this institution, um, this institution just like gets at the truth, right? Like, you know, you have either a regulator or you have a, uh, or you have a scientific institution, a scientific institution conducts a study and what they study is just the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And really the biopower critique is like just um, pointing out all of these ways in which this is not true. And what, how uh, in fact there is this incentive to use um, to, to use these institutions for power to say, um, we have these, uh, influences, whether they are, whether they are capitalist, whether they are just, you know, political incentives, right? Politicization, that there is a lot of incentive to present, essentially present like the authority of neutrality, right? To, to keep, keep going with the pretense that what you're doing is just, you know, a neutral arbiter of truth, but really to, to bend the will or to bend the results of whatever your whatever truth claims you're producing in the direction of power. Uh, so true. I'm right there with you. 
<laughs> okay, okay, maybe maybe I'm a little lost in the plot. No, 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 well. I, I get so it. It, just, it, sounds, it sounds to me like um, it sounds to me like if the left wanted to uh, make those claims, like, well, I'm I'm saying the left. I'm like, let's say the pro lockdown people wanted to bring up Foucault, and you know, like it would be pretty clear that uh, <laughs> it's it would seem that uh, Foucault would probably criticize the lockdown power structure stuff under that regime or like where under un, he would he would it seems like he wouldn't like the regime so i don't know why they would make that argument and then that would just leave an opportunity for right-wingers or anti-lockdown people at least to to make that to make that counter argument so i mean i mean that that like based off what you're saying like that makes sense to me like what you're describing in terms of right-wingers using foucault like yeah it's a it's a tool like he's given them a tool the left-wingers use that tool but now it's more prudent for the right-wingers to use that tool yeah, I think that makes sense. So you mentioned earlier the internet as deterritorializing. What do you uh, do? You want to give some more examples of that, just in general, not necessarily relating to Foucault. Yeah, I mean, like what I uh, what I what I what I did and what I do still to an extent is like I go into internet communities which are like really niche, like Nazbols. You know, there's not well, <laughs> I don't want to underplay it, but there's there's not too many Nazbols. There's not like there's a it's like a big, huge group of people, but they are they're online and they have certain terms. And then, like, even oh, for like, the audience, what's a Nazbol? National uh, Bolshevik. It's like a it's like a communist Nazi. It's like a someone economically far left but culturally far right. Um, and they are like you know people with these these internet communities. They've got they've got little terms that they use to sort of reinforce their communities um like incels like call call fem cells or femoids or whatever um like th- those terms chads and, and virgins and all that uh that that will that'll emerge from like a 4chan reactionary incel sort of community or subculture and then you know it sort of percolates upwards as people you know discover these communities who aren't part of the communities this is also a function of irony as well. Like sometimes you use irony to reinforce an in-group and then that irony is like seen from a different context. And then all of a sudden, you know, people, people are like missing the joke because they're not in the in-group, but they're still using the terminology. And then, you know, the meaning of the words change. So like Chad becomes from like, it goes from being like a top 1% male who is having who's accumulating all the sexual capital for himself to being like, just like a cool guy. Cause it's like become, so surface to the the top of of mainstream discourse that it's just just like based instead of being like based on moral principles it's just like anything cool <laughs> or like <laughs> anything good uh and, and and that's 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 just kind of what happens to like a lot of these anything any internet term with, with that has legs is like all of a sudden it goes from being like part of one one very specific very niche community to kind of bubbling upwards and being removed from its cultural context which is you know, it used to be like, okay, I'm an incel talking to another incel. And now it's like, okay, we're just like, you know, you might hear it on the news. Like, is it based? Is it cringed? Tune in at seven to find out. And <laughs> definitely, definitely have seen that Tucker monologue a few times. Um, so do you think, do you think that these, this leads to like more cooperation? I mean, this is like the premise of, of one of your series, Centricide, right? Do you think that like any, anything resembling that is like actually happening? um i think as the left and right like what makes up the left and the right sort of 
disintegrate. Um, you go from being like, okay, I have like a, this basket of ideas. So why is a, a pro-life person also pro-capitalist? Like what, what, what makes someone who's like wants to preserve, like who basically wants a woman not to have abortions? What makes that idea, what idea align with being pro-capitalist? Right. I mean, there's these, these buckets that say that they're right wing and like, okay, I have these 10 ideas in this bucket that makes me right wing. All right. But the buckets are kind of disintegrating now. <laughs> so it's like now these, now these issues can team up with other issues in like, non-standard or strange ways like can you make an argument where you're like anti-capitalist but you're pro-life well yeah you sure you can i mean like people make people people are making those arguments actually pretty frequently they're making like economically left-wing arguments against degeneracy or whatever like ah yes the capitalism's run too rampant and now you know we're all we're all degenerate and we've got only fans and ah yeah 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 it's it's so bad so like yeah, yeah. Uh, so Rob so Rob Amari had like pro life new dealer as his Twitter handle for a while. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's a good example. So like, uh, as as these things as these things disintegrate, you can make new connections between these ideas. Like the nodes are still there, but they're connected differently. So like, yeah, you can still like you know be um, pro choice, uh, but that doesn't. But like, you're, if you're like a typical liberal, let's say like. You're pro-choice, but you're also like pro-capitalism. Like you're like, okay, I want international trade. I like globalism. Um, like neoliberals, for example, like they 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 like the idea of everyone doing trade with poor countries and lifting people out of poverty via capitalism. And they like the idea of individual liberty, so they like people having pro-choice. So like you're making all these different connections between these different groups, and it doesn't mean you're necessarily like left-wing or or right-wing. Or it just means like you have a a different connection of all these different ideas and it's it's hard to call it left or right after at a certain point like you're kind of splitting hairs and it becomes complicated and if you can do that um like like one let's say one of these ideas that you're connecting is um the status quo bad well then you could take like all these different disparate groups that believe status quo bad and you can say let's ignore our differences in the short term and work towards status quo bad and just destroy the status quo and you know there are people like this there's people who is like my politics are literally just i hate liberals and nothing else like <laughs> so that's that's any I mean, such case so yeah exactly so like those people exist will they will they continue to proliferate i think so especially um i i, I think it's, i think just as as these monolithic um idea groups dissolve into smaller component parts they'll rebuild into different component parts and i think part of that part of that might be that uh people just agree status quo bad and uh, we should destroy it and those people are bad because i am a centrist uh, understandable um so maybe this is all fighting the previous war because you know the communications technology that exists now um, maybe they'll get displaced by AI. Maybe I should ask you that as a question first. Like, do, what, what impact do you think AI will have on how we communicate? Uh, how we communicate? Oh, we're not going to be the ones communicating. You know? <laughs> um, how will AI have an impact on how we communicate? No, I don't think I don't think we're going to be doing much communicating. Okay. Uh, have you ever heard of effective altruism? Yes, I've heard of effective altruism. <laughs> okay. Good response. Effective altruism, overrated or underrated? Oh, 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 oh rated, but I really don't want to say rated. Uh, rated. 
uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I really wish I, I, when you asked me that question, I was like, oh yeah, that's when you help people effectively, right? Through altruism. Mm -hmm. right. I remember um, Moist Critical, Penguin Zero, because people still don't know what effective altruism is, even after like the Sam Bankman Freed stuff. And it's like, so like people like saw like an like uh like I remember a critical he was like a big streamer he saw like a he was talking about Sam Bankman Fried and he saw an article and he's like look they're 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 saying this guy was was good still in the mainstream media like <laughs> an effective altruist he wasn't effective like uh <laughs> okay someone someone should probably explain this it's kind of weird that there's no like big YouTube video explaining it yet but I'm also <sighs> I'm also kind of burned out of just explaining ideologies and nothing else so yeah I don't know. That's probably something. Anyway, so what's why are you bringing up effective altruism? Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Wait, why am I doing this? I don't remember. I think you said something. Oh, you said something about like age, like us not having a future with AI. I think that's why. I mean, there's, there's I'm not saying there's no future with AI. It's just like not going to be me, you know. <laughs> it's going to be uh going to be something that maybe resembles me. Maybe I'll have like uh some 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 form that's like a little bit like me. I don't know if I would call it me though. Uh, in what way? Flesh flesh out this vision for us. Um. Well, okay. I mean, if you look at future compasses, right? Like uh, accelerationist future compasses. They there's it's many different visions of different futures, but it seems to be that the two visions that have really captured the collective subconscious is like dystopian like uh um cyberpunk it's basically either you like you can say you will live in the pods yeah it's like it's like um like pod world on one end uh and then it's like <laughs> complete destruction like nuclear war on the other end so basically it's like the cyberpunk dystopia is the good ending um <laughs> Which is, which is great. Uh, but then, you know, there's, there's different variants of accelerationism. Like the left accelerationists think that the AI will, um, you know, we can, we can control the, we control the AI. We can get the means of production working on our side. And then, uh, basically everyone gets UBI and no one has to work, but you have UBI and we can still have, we can still like use capitalism to our advantage and blah, blah, blah. And then the right accelerationists are like, the flesh is weak. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Wait, what, it, it, what do you mean? Well, it's like the, the right accelerationists want to become robots, you know, like they will, they want no more humans. <laughs> They're just like humans are inefficient. We're just inefficient machines. We should replace ourselves with robots. Wait, uh, who on the right is saying that, huh? Right accelerationists. So it's not like right wing people believe this, but the, there's left accelerationists, right accelerationists, unconditional Wait, who is a, accelerationists. Who is a right accelerationist? Uh, well, Nick Land is often credited as like a right accelerationist, but some people say he's more of like an unconditional accelerationist. Um, yeah, I would not consider Nick Land's. I would probably say Peter Thiel is like right acceleration e. Like he's Peter? he's like he's like on that he's like on that spectrum. It's like the right accelerationists are like let's let's give billionaires more power. Let's. I mean, I think you could you could maybe maybe make the argument like Moldbug is like right accelerationist adjacent in the sense that like he wants things to be run as efficiently as possible for the sake of like capitalism for the sake of like all countries should just be run like giant corporations and then you know we extrapolate that out like eventually it's going to lead to people needing to be more and more efficient like already you see like i was watching a, even a mr beast podcast he's like i wish i couldn't sleep anymore i wish i could just 
put an implant in my brain and like not sleep ever. That's not what he was Wait, saying. Wait, hold, hold up, hold up. There, Moldbug went on Mr. Beast? No, 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 no. Um, huh? I was just watching a Mr. Beast podcast, as you do, as you do for some reason, as as anyone does. Anyway, I'm getting off track. The point is, um, uh, people, people like, I, I think, I think if we keep, you know, valuing efficiency, then eventually we will just start changing ourselves to become more and more efficient. And then we'll eventually just keep doing that until there's no trace of humanity left. Uh, that's that's the right accelerationist. That's what they want. The right accelerationists want that. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think Moldbug. Or okay, like I can see how he's interpreted that way, but especially this is kind of like post him coming on my podcast. Like after he came on my podcast, he went on like Kashuda and he went on like a bunch of other places. And yeah, yeah. Talking so about vitalism. I, sh- I should be clear when I'm talking about like I'm I'm specifically talking about the idea of like patchwork. Um, as yeah. a kind of right accelerationist. I know he's on a bit of a different kick now with the clear pill stuff. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to make any claims about like the, the recent stuff. But, uh, when I think about, when I think about right wing accelerationism, I think of like maximizing capital for the sake of like specifically efficiency and replacing humans with robots. Right. So, so how did you become interested in politics at all? Uh, huh. Well, you know, I'm not really interested in politics. It sucks. It's horrible. Um, I'd, I'd rather just, uh, I'd rather have a, well, as soon as, as soon as that robot stuff comes out, I'm going to give myself a lobotomy and, uh, I'm going to alter my brain to forget about it all. But how did this, how did this mind virus infest me? Maybe is the, is the better question. Sure. Um, I, uh, I don't know. Let's see. I was in journalism. I read a book called Kill All Normies <laughs> by Angela Nagel. And I was like, huh, this is an interesting book. Um, cause like I was a self-identified centrist at the time. And then, uh, I read, uh, Joshua Citarella's post left, um, then the politogram, something like that. It was like a PDF, uh, left accelerationist post post left kind of nihilist vibe. Um, and then, uh, and then I made, I made a few videos and those videos took off featuring the political compass. Cause that was, that was another part of it. Just like getting into it through political compass memes. And then, <laughs> Many um, such cases. Yes, many such cases. And then, uh, and then after that took off, I, I just had to learn more because that's what people were interested in. So I was like, okay, I'll learn more about this stuff. And then I did. So your user, your username in this, uh, in this podcast recording, uh, environment is, is, is JGEG, G, J, G, E, G. Uh, is this your new YouTube handle as well? Uh, yeah, Jagog Magog is, uh, is Magog or something like that. No, uh, no, no, it's not my new, new, I just, I, I meant to hit the R, but I hit the J, the G instead. Can you believe it? Those aren't that close. Oh man, you know, they're not that far away. It's like a centimeter, you know? <laughs> okay. Um, have you ever, have you ever, ever read Catherine D? Uh, so you keep asking me if I read, uh, I'm not much of a reader. Have you ever listened to a podcast with Catherine D? No. Uh, are you aware at all of the name Catherine D? No. Oh, okay. This is actually pretty unfortunate. She's, I, I think like people think of her close to the kind of post left space or the kind of like internet sub community space. I think that's, that's around what the description of her Substack reads as. Okay. Uh, it's so interesting. Her... Like you, you'd be, I, I think like, you would find the stuff she writes a bit interesting. It's pretty I'll similar. Check, I'll, I'll check her out. So what am I looking up? Catherine D? 
Uh, that should be fine. Uh, default friend is her was her YouTube. Her, ah yes, her default friend. Okay, time. I got you. I got you. Oh, okay, I'm so on. you have heard of this person? Oh no, I'm just looking her up now. Okay. What's uh, what's she all about? Uh, like it's pretty similar to what we've been talking about today, like internet sub communities. That's like that's like the the, the branding, you know. Um, basically, how a lot of these online groups and fandoms and political ideologies. Only the very online political ideologies, though, interact. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. Now I'm, I, just, I'm uh, trying to see like how I can get at kind of Catherine D thoughts without. You know, I, I was actually really expecting you to have heard of her. Um, this seems like pretty close to what you're doing. Um, oh, um, mental illness, underrated or overrated? Uh, uh, well, the thing with mental illness is, <laughs> uh, I would say it's rated. <laughs> Why? Well, um, some people have it. Uh, some people don't. Uh, it's a framework, but it's also real. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very complicated, but either way it's, it's rated. I, you know, like, <laughs> I think my, my previous self would have said like mental illnesses is underrated. We should all strive to be autistic and schizophrenic, something like that. <laughs> um, autismophrenic ideally. But now I'm thinking like, well, that was all, you know, maybe you shouldn't, you, you shouldn't be very autistic or schizophrenic. You should just be normal. You just Aww. try to be normal. All these kids these days, they're running Aww. around, running around, you know, with their ADHD and their depression, their anxiety, their, 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 their autism. Everyone's got autism these days. Calm down, relax, stop having autism. All right. <laughs> just choose not to have autism and you will stop having autism. You're not, you're not autistic. You're just a loser. No one likes you. That's, that's, <laughs> that's all there is to it. So, uh, yeah, I, I, but at the end of the day, some people are autistic. So I'm going to say rated. <laughs> what do you think was the rating of mental illness maybe 30 years ago uh, um like what people would have rated it or what i would have rated it no no whether it was overrated or underrated 30 years ago um i i think it was underrated yeah i would have invested in it <laughs> okay how do you invest in mental illness um pharmaceutical companies Excellent. You you heard it here first, folks. Go back in time. Actually, that's a pretty good investment if you're going back in time anyway, right? Like yeah, yeah. Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, that, that can't have been that bad. You know, you, you should definitely have been a seed seed stage donor to, or not donor, but investor in Moderna. Like that would have been like I knew people you know adjacent to that world. I'm not sure if I knew you know someone working at a firm that directly invested in Moderna, but definitely you know like. Second, second bacon number, right? Um, yeah, where do you think, what do you think is a good investment strategy now? Um, <laughs> uh, hmm. probably still pharmaceuticals. I mean, um, I, probably investing in techno capital in general. Good idea. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe like water. Maybe that's like, maybe that's like a water, good answer. Water futures. Yeah, you know, like, I know a lot of people at the Forethought Institute, or, fuck. Yeah, 
Yes, this is actually the Forethought Institute and not the Foresight Institute. Okay. These are, I, I cannot stop confusing the two. I have published like articles confusing the two. Um, but no, this is actually the Forethought Institute that does Future of Water stuff. Like, Future of Water... I actually am like pretty confident in my predictions about AI, but like I feel like mostly because of like first person exposure to like the back end, but like I feel like the the place in the imagination which people mostly have AI, which is like this wildly divergent thing that could go like to one extreme or the other, mm. that like the thing that occupies that place in my mind is like water. Is is like the future future of water because there is a lot of hype of like, oh, will we get water wars? You know, especially here in Canada, right? Are you still in Canada? I'm still in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here in Canada, like people hype this up because, you know, anything to make Canada seem important. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, do you, do you th- water wars, overrated or underrated? Um, well, uh, rated. Okay, let's get it over with. They're rated. They're rated. But... But, uh, what, do you, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I'd say wild hmm, speculation time. Water wars, water wars. Um, I think water wars will be fought, but I think we'll have enough water to drink. It'll just be for swimming pools. We'll have enough water to drink. No, just, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll fight like, wars over the swimming pools. Swimming pools, yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, you give someone a high quality of living and you like reduce it by fifteen percent. Bam, wars. You're, you're fighting wars over stuff that. You don't even need like swimming pools. There was already there was already cases where um in I forget either Texas or some some very dry place in Texas there was like a water ban and someone had a swimming pool. Um, they were basically like abusing. They were taking too much water. So like I think they burned down their house or something. Uh, and like ah uh, that's that's like that's like stage one of the water wars, which is we'll have enough water to drink. That won't be a problem. But we'll, who gets the swimming pools? You know, so this your neighbor gets to have a swimming pool. Because he's making more money than you? I don't think so. Swimming pool nationalism. Exactly. It's a big <laughs> swimming pool. And uh, and eventually, yeah, we're all going to be swimming. We're all going to be swimming in a big pool. <laughs> okay. So you talked earlier about, you know, like, learning from the mayor's race that political, essentially like political machines, right? Political um, establishments, um bureaucracies campaign staff which is very important uh what part of the campaign staff do you think is most important uh probably the campaign manager um that's the because i mean oh at least the way yeah, i think it is okay I, I asked this question poorly you know like people usually just break it down into you know th- they break it down into either um canvassing right on the ground on the ground stuff community organizing which is mm, a little yeah. bit different um outreach prep right like what what element of campaigning do you think the staff contributes to most um hmm well i mean it, i guess it, it depends what you're telling the staff to do um in terms of like what's most important uh I did, I did do like a decent amount of door knocking, but my campaign was a little, little odd in the sense that, you know, we would knock on people's doors, pitch them a big wall around Ottawa, Ontario. And, uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> they'd hear us out, but it's very, uh, it's very, very, some, some pretty grueling work. And I'm not sure we converted like a single <laughs> voter via that method. Oh. Um, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe one or two, but, 
Um, I mean, like lots of people heard us out and were like, okay, very interesting. And then a lot of people took us very seriously as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what most people would say is, is door knocking and like outreach and of that, of that, of that variety, like specifically like one-on-one interactions, because the logic is like, if, if somebody doesn't know who they're voting for, then they'll just vote for whoever they met in person. Basically, they'll be like, oh, this, this guy seems nice, whatever. I'll vote for him. Um, but I think, uh, I think that's kind of like an old fashioned way of looking at things. I think most people want to just vote for whoever they are like they they are told ideologically aligned with them like who's the right wing guy okay i'm gonna vote for the right wing guy because that that just takes less thought in general so uh yeah uh i don't know i don't know i mean it was I, the thing is like there's there's what's important for like an average campaign and then there was what was important for my campaign i'd say <laughs> i'd say mostly what was important for my campaign was just you know getting views and and online and like being viral and then word of mouth people tell each other like that was that was probably what i should have focused on more um i wasted i wasted a lot of time actually just um doing like out like regular outreach stuff we did cold calling we did a lot of stuff we did a lot of stuff hmm. that's that's really interesting and how do you think the, the the campaign uh experience campaign staff help out with that uh how did the campaign staff help out with that well you know um no one in my campaign was really like a super established campaign for politics person. Um, I had one guy who was like a more of a established politics fella helping me out. And he built a lot of the infrastructure in terms of like getting volunteers and like creating like, like group chats and stuff uh, and telling me about like the, the laws and, and figuring all that stuff out for me. You know, I'd say, I'd say actually like figuring out the laws was probably the most helpful thing that the campaign staff did for me is just like understand the laws and, and, um, stuff that we can do and can't do. And you know what the deadlines are for and all that stuff. Like that, that was probably the most important uh, thing that I got them to do for me. Okay. Uh, hmm, where do I want to go with this? I don't know. Like, I feel like there is this kind of interesting lesson that people learn all the time. Most, you know, most famously, the Trump administration learned this, right? This similar lesson. I think for them, it was more po- more so policy staff than it was campaign staff because they actually managed to win the first time. But uh, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. this kind of this kind of like understanding. I, I think there's like three parts to it, right? The first part is like looking at these kind of political bureaucracies and saying like, you guys promised to do this stuff and you guys don't do this stuff. And then, so that's like the first shift, right? Your phase one is like naive, naive acceptance. And then you go to naive, like rejection. Mm-hmm. And then you go to like, you know, um, and then you like actually win in the case of like the Trump administration and the people mm-hmm. in it. And then they go from thinking, you know, like these people are useless to, to being like, actually, these people are incredibly important, but not right. for the reasons you think they are. Right. So, so there's this kind of like, you know, U curve here where they go from, thinking it's important to, you know, thinking they're actually useless to thinking, oh, they're actually, you know, their their point is to win internal coalitional fights and they're actually very good at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, is, is that kind of like, um, hmm. so, so basically like the Republicans, uh, they look at like the Democrat infrastructure and say they're promising to do stuff, but they're not doing stuff. And then they reject it. And then not what? even like the democratic infrastructure, you know, like federal bureaucracies. 
Like, right, like, right, right. It, this was a very, you know, much reported story, actually more reported on the left than on the right, of how Trump had all these open cabinet positions, right? It's uh-huh. like, what am I going to do with, like, the deputy secretary of the interior, uh, right? Right. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, and, and this is no, no offense to, uh, actually, like, the person who... This is probably why it came up to mind, but the, that role was eventually, uh, filled by, uh, by, uh, I think, I think Jeremy Carl, who was on the, on the show as well. Uh, no, no, this is not meant to be a jab at him, but like, it was a very long time until that was actually filled. And this is the same thing that's true for like a lot of Trump cabinet positions. Um, where I think like, you know, they, they really kind of didn't understand how legisl like quote unquote legislation, like not like actual legislation, but you know, like the stuff that actually governs a lot of uh, daily life, how that actually functions. Mm. And so th- they were just like, we're going to neglect, you know, essentially like the most important part of where to direct your talent, you know, like we had, you know, 20 or 30 top people doing comms for like i don't know senator ted cruz who was going to win anyway right couldn't we have redirected some of that talent and and they just didn't really they didn't really consider that at all and now they're now they're at least considering it there's a big kind of shift at least in the kind of elite probably not in the probably not in the public Hmm. towards towards a kind of maybe more kind of like managerial or burnham-esque view of things although you know i have i have my critiques of that Wow, a Bo Burnham-esque critique. That's crazy. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. so... For the audience, some people in the audience actually won't, won't know the reference. Uh, James Burnham. James Burnham. Um, the, what would you say, political theorist? Writer. Oh, uh, Joe, James Burnham. Well, you know... Kofkiite. <laughs> huh, how would I describe James Burnham? I'd probably describe him as uh, an American philosopher and political theorist chairing the New York University Department of Philosophy's first book was an introduction to philosophical analysis, 1931. Uh, just off the top of my head. I see. Uh, overrated or underrated? Um, let's see what Wikipedia says. Uh, Wikipedia says <laughs> weighted. <laughs> Does it actually... No, it says defend. I like I control left rated, and I said, and I saw um, defending the Soviet Union as a degenerated worker state. Okay, so there we go. I see. So, so, so would would that be overrated? Would that be underrated? I guess it would be degen- degenerated. Degenerated. Okay. <laughs> Man, that that's got to be. This should make it into a skit somewhere. You know, I. I don't know. Maybe if I go on some more fun podcast, I'll pull out this line. You know, overrated or underrated, degenerated. Overrated, underrated, rated, degenerated. <laughs> yeah, you can use a few more rateds. Yeah, what are some more rateds we could use? Oh, that's a good question. Well, let's go to Rhyme Zone. <laughs> uh, let's see. Related? No, that's not good. Uh, is, this how you, is this how you write your songs? Uh, yeah, let's go straight to Rhyme Zone. Um, the, the songs are great, though, for the audience. Thank you. Correlated. Correlated. Wait, that's not rated. Hold up. Wait, wait, wait. No, you're right. You're right. Wait, wait. No, no. Oh, I'm looking up related. That's why. Rated. Okay. Boom. Um, hmm. O- okay. Operated. <laughs> uh, okay. okay. Moderated. Oh, actually, can I change all my answers to moderated? Um, <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, or- orchestrated. Okay. Uh, perforated. Um, what does that mean? Like pierced? Okay. Uh, saturated. Wonderful. Like for example, like I could say mental illness is saturated. 
<laughs> but I guess that's kind of like overrated. Anyway, um, all kinds of different ratings. I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, moderation, overrated or underrated? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of going back and forth as to whether or not I'm centrist on, on centrism or if I'm an extremist on centrism. Um, I think I'm probably, uh, I, I think I'm probably rated. Man, I've spent so much time in this interview planning out, you know, normally I plan out like what interesting things to do and what areas to explore. I've just been trying to like get you to, to not say rated. And okay, maybe it's time to do something else. Okay. Tell you what, I, I'll, I'll say next, next, next question you answer, I won't answer rated. Next question you ask. Okay, you're gonna say moderated, aren't you? I was gonna say accelerated. Oh, oh man, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Okay, um, but, but in I can that also case, say you know. Mm. <laughs> okay, United States of America, uh, overrated or underrated? Amalgamated. Oh no, that doesn't. Okay, no, give me the. Uh, mm, I'm gonna go with evaporated. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Wonderful. 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 What does that mean? It means it's all going to go up in smoke, baby. <laughs> Civil War, overrated or underrated? Uh, uh, exaggerated, I'd say. Okay. So overrated. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's, there's like the... There's like modernity has primed people for civil war arguments, and then the modernity has, you know, made people basically unable to comprehend civil war, yeah. unsuitable for civil war. And I would, I would definitely put myself in the second camp. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I think everything's going to be fine. Yeah. What do you think, you know, very recently, I'm trying to think of where I was reading this, but there was some column that was talking about how you know, this is like a left-wing column that was talking about how, you know, violence has become um, kind of like performed nowadays. Right. And that th this person was predicting, you know, that that would create like, it it's very weird because this was like a very left-wing person, but this is kind of like the, the violent video games argument, right? That this, this, this will create like an uptick in violence because it's so kind of like theatric now. But... What are, what are some examples of like theatric violence? Like, what are they? Uh, what are they referring to? Yeah, you know, like like Rittenhouse, for example, right? And wow. you can say like that was justified or not, but it was a, it was certainly a spectacle, and everyone can agree that it was a spectacle, mm -hmm. right? And these these kind of things, you know, like in the sense that like it was performed, but it's not like he was going out trying to. Well, I guess yeah, he was, I don't yeah. think that you know, like I don't think he was you know like trying to get famous by no, no, I don't, like I don't think he was trying to get famous. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I, definitely not. But like, I guess he was kind of like patrolling with a gun, and like that was the whole point was to be seen as like a capable, violent figure or whatever. Yeah, so, but like this, this to me is like the the opposite of how it works, right? Like where when like the concept of violence becomes more, like increasingly postmodern, it's like to, to me like that reduces the likelihood of violence, right? It reduces the likelihood that people will actually kind of like go after the real thing. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I no so, so you mentioned you mentioned earlier Kill All Normies. What do you think of that book? 
Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I went, I've, I've been through a couple phases with it. At first I was a centrist, um, uh, who didn't know anything about politics. Um, and then, uh, I was an extremist and then I was like, but then I was like, oh, but Angela Nagel's not actually really a centrist. She's kind of like a, uh, she's kind of like a left winger with some, with a, like a right wing take here and there, uh, in terms of like immigration or whatever. She wrote like an uh, anti-immigration piece. Um, and then, so I was like, okay, more mixed feelings. Now that I'm a centrist again. Uh, as, as far as it's a, as a centrist book that I'm, I'm pro, uh, kill all armies. Okay. So wait, so you think Angela Nagel is still primarily a left-wing person? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't really kept in touch with what's going on with Angela Nagel. Um, but I, I guess, I guess I, she would probably identify as a left-winger. Yeah. I think she, does, does she still call herself post-left? I remember that was the. That was the kind of tag, right? It was like all of the post-left people. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So we have we have twenty five minutes left, right? Uh yeah. I will. It's fine. We can go till three thirty. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um. So. Man, I spent I spent like more time figuring out how how to get you to like not say rated than to figure out like how to set up you know the questions into like asking about like the mental illness arc. Good, I, uh, I, you know what, I, I, have it, I have it no other way. Okay, um, what was the inspiration uh, behind this arc? The mental illness arc. Yeah, um, that was yeah my my last arc. I guess the inspiration was schizophrenia. Yes, and any kind of like personal personal experiences led you to think this is yep. important. <laughs> yep. Okay. Like what do you think is like the most overrated thing when people are talking about mental and like the thing that people get wrong the most? Um I just think it's uh, a little cringe how we how we talk about mental illness. Um kind of kind of lame. Kind of, kind of lame and like overly like coddly, um, and like just like I, I guess I, I disagree with the axioms of 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 mental illness. Like you're supposed to be like normal and you're supposed to be like okay, you're supposed to be this one way, and so it's like we we treat you with like kind of condescendingly. It's like oh, yeah. um, I had a script which was like the only way to talk about mental illness, which I never published, but it was like it's like um. Mental illness is, is bad and it's, it's sad and you can only talk about it like this. Like you're on the verge of tears all the time because it's so sad and serious. And there's nothing funny about wanting to die. Wanting to die is not funny at all. I want to die because life's too hard. It's too hard and I can't figure it out. And I've been trying to figure it out for a really long time and I just can't. And every day's a struggle. There's nothing funny about that. It's serious. This tone of voice really helps. You know, that kind of vibe. It's like, what? Well, like, what? Why? Just why? Just why? I don't know. I like I like to pick things apart, um, and uh, and also the way we talk about mental illness kind of uh, feeds into all that biopower stuff, I guess. But I don't really know anything about that biopower biopower stuff. But there's probably something there. I'm sure Foucault would be like, "Yeah, you're right, Greg." <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like the earlier. This is kind of like the earlier kind of you know maybe they wouldn't call themselves right critical theorists but maybe more more like right machiavellians right 
um, what was it? The, the therapeutic, the therapeutic states. Who was that by again? I was supposed to, I was supposed to interview or not interview. Uh, I was supposed to review a book that mentioned, that mentioned. Oh, Zaz, my, my good friend, Zaz's. <laughs> I, I love Thomas Zaz's. What um, is this, a Hungarian name? I have no idea. Uh, he wrote in like the myth of mental illness. Right. As well. uh, have you uh, have you ever seen? This is a very wild stretch. But have you ever seen the Japanese pop song "Racing into the Night"? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, actually, let me just like let me just like link this to you. So this is like the official translation that was put out by the band of the folktale that it is based on. And yeah, yeah, just like read this entire thing. We can edit out like the four minute gap as you read this. Sounds good. Or, or we can see like your your like live reaction. You don't have to read it out loud. Alright. Where am I getting this link? What do you mean where? Oh, it's in the it's in the chat. Ah, okay. the, yeah, I have like a million tabs open, and I do not even <laughs> understandable. Do not, do not know where this chat went. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, guess I should just click this button again. Oh, okay, good. Ooh, page not found. Um. Oh, okay. I got it. Got it. All right. Boom. Okay, I'm gonna read it. I notice it's an archive.org. Yeah, this got. I think, like, they took it down themselves. Interesting. Okay. All right. August 15th. The sun had long since set, but the air was... Oh, you're going to read it out loud? As I ran up to the apartment... As I ran up the okay. apartment stairs, my body was an endless fountain of sweat. I like where this is going. You've sent me this. <laughs> Goodbye. Just one word sent from her line account. I knew right away what it meant. I had been at work despite it being the Oban vacation season. After throwing my stuff together, I rushed home to the building where I lived, and up on the roof outside the railing was where I found her standing with vacant eyes. This was actually the fourth time I had seen her attempting to jump to her death. It said there are two types of people, those ruled by the desire for life, Eros, and those ruled by the desire for death, Thanatos. Oh, I love that, his role in the Avengers. Most of the people in the world were for the former, but she was unquestionably the latter. I knew Thanatos ruled her even before I started dating her. Well, of course I did. We met on the roof of this building when I saved her from a similar suicide attempt. Fellas, if the lady's trying to kill herself more than three times, you got to get out of there. The girl said she had just moved in. Though she had an adorable face with round eyes and full lips, there was something hopeless about her expression. She stole my heart in an instant. I think it might have been love at first sight. After that, we started talking more and grew close. I was living all alone and being exploited at work. So to me, she was like an angel who had come fluttering down from heaven. But I did wonder one thing. Whenever she was attempting suicide, she contacted me, and she always waited where she was until I arrived. Wouldn't it be more of a sure thing to die alone without telling anyone? My personal interpretation was that somewhere in her heart, she wanted me to stop her like the time we met to save her. So there I was, running up the stairs again. Mm, codependent relationship, not liking that. Ha ha, I made it to the roof. Why is he laughing? She was standing outside the ra la railing, facing away from me. Wait, ellipses, exclamation mark. I jumped over the railing and took her hand. Unlike the muggy air, her hand was freezing. Let go of me. Her voice was a charming, fleeting sound like the tone of a bell. 
I loved her voice. Why do you always do this? I just want to hurry up and die. Why? Because the god of death is calling me. Uh, based alert, marry this one. She could see the god of death. Apparently, that's a rare symptom of being ruled by Thanatos, and only people Thanatos rules can see it. There's no god of death, nerd face emoji. There's no god of death. And then, like, it's like a it's like a quote, but the person who's saying the quote is like the nerd face emoji. Why don't you get it? When I denied the existence of her god, she would always sob. Yeah, well, maybe maybe you shouldn't. This is what godless people do. They've got no god. And they're like, oh, your God's fake. And they got to ruin it for other people. The God of death always appears in the form the most tempting to the one seeing it. That is, it takes the form of their ideal companion. When she was looking at the God of death, of course, to me, she seemed to be gazing into empty space. She looked like a girl in love, like she had fallen head over heels. I hated seeing that her face like that. Yeah, I hated seeing that her face like that too. Don't look at the God of death. Look at me. No. She tried to shake my hand off and I squeezed harder than I meant to. Ow. Sorry, but it's your fault. You're the one who tried to shake me off. You're the one who won't look at me. The God of Death would never do that. I'm literally shaking and crying. Something dark and ugly swept over my heart. Why? I love you so much. Why can't you just look at me? Somewhere in my mind, I knew it was ridiculous to be jealous of the God of Death, but I didn't care anymore. I'm sick of this too. I'm sick of it too. I'm tired. I'm tired too. I just want to die. I want to die too. The moment I said it, she looked up. She was smiling. The moment I saw her face, I felt the dark ugliness in my heart vanish. Huh? You mean, so you finally figured it out. Yeah, I finally get it. Really few. Oh, I see. You didn't call me during your suicide attempts because you wanted me to save you. You wanted me to take me with you. She was my god of death. A chilly wind blew. At some point, I had stopped feeling the muggy heat. Then shall we go? Yeah, let's go. You and I holding hands in order to escape the frustration this world causes us. We set off running towards the night sky, but then we actually just broke both of our legs and became paraplegic <laughs> forever at the end. Huh. <laughs> nice. Nice. I wasn't expecting that twist there. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. An invitation from Thanatos. Okay. What do you think of this? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, uh, you know what I think? I think, um, I think it's a real, I think it's a real lesson for us to, uh, um, you know, just cause, just cause that the, the chick is hot. And has BPD, uh, <laughs> you know, like, like hot BPD. I understand it's a bit of a trade off, but at, at a certain point, you got to pull the plug on these relationships. <laughs> understandable, uh, understandable. Um, but the know, thing is, she just... doesn't just have BPD. She also has schizophrenia because she's she's imagining a some sort of god of death. Which you know. I mean, a lot of a lot of a lot of people are like, man, if I can only find a girl who aligned with me in terms of my mental illnesses, I've got BPD and schizophrenia. She's got BPD and schizophrenia. But uh turns out, uh, you know, the two negatives don't make a positive there. But what if he's just schizophrenic? And none of this is actually happening. Well, then yeah. I say probably best he uh, he ends his suffering now rather than. Oh, my to, goodness. Tries to deal with deal with living with that shit. Damn, I was going to start putting these on YouTube. whatever (laughs) okay this will be fine this will be fine we are discussing we are discussing you know an antique japanese artifact when was this when was this uh when was this made i think the story itself or like the folktale itself is very old right i think there's like a there's like a wikipedia page of it you're your favorite source i Um, thought it was i thought it was archived i thought it was like um you know like on like a fan fiction website or something no no um this specific version 
right, was was a version that was translated by. So like this band made a song based on this folktale, and oh, it was the number one song in Japan. Interesting. And they made an official translation, which which is this. Right, this is the official translation mm-hmm. um, by that band. Okay. Right, of, of like the story that they based their their hit song off of. Yeah. And then uh, they took it down. Like they themselves took it down. I think. Huh? Why? I have no idea. Okay. Um, I and mean, then... we can guess, right? We can guess. Okay, so so this was their official translation. They put it up. Uh, it was about what? I mean, what do you think the what do you think the significance is? I mean, I think the significance is that people people don't really understand. I think like today you're talking about this earlier, right? Like people don't really understand the allure of of dying. Of like, so there's like the layer one version of it, right? Which is this kind of like vaguely left wing critique of everyone, you know, everyone wanting to. Everyone basically wanting to live as long as possible. Everyone wanting to, everyone being afraid of these kind of things, right? Not wanting to treat it as like coldly and unemotionally uh, as possible. And then there's like the second layer critique of that, which is like the fir- the thing that the first layer critique that tries to do is like basically be like incredibly therapeutic, and you know, basically engage in this kind of slave morality where these desires are. These desires are like unquestionably bad. They can never guide you to actually making an improvement in your life. And then like the third layer critique of this is like, actually that doesn't work either, right? Actually you have to maybe, maybe not like go all the way, but if there is this some kind of desire and not just like suicide, but any kind of, you know, mental illness, any kind of basically, you know, any kind of sign that you should drastically change your preferences drastically change what your goals in life are you know you should probably do some kind of change right and that so far you know that's kind of where i've settled i've settled on that kind of third layer critique of like there are a lot of points in time i think like the economist russ roberts calls this like wild problems right a lot of points in time where there are decisions you can do to like drastically change what you want and you know we, we we're kind of in we live in a society where that's like almost always discouraged to like drastically change what you want. And Um, most of the time that would actually be good. Right. And most of the time that's not like, you know, suicide. That's like, you know, uh, marrying someone, changing careers, et cetera, et cetera. But people are still very hesitant to do those. Right. Right. Yeah. I understand. Very normal. But sometimes it is suicide. I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) and if you're watching, listen, if you're watching at home, uh, I'm just saying. Sometimes that it, sometimes that's what it is. Uh, oh my god! Damn. But only Damn. only if you're weird. Only if you're weird. If you're normal, you you deserve to live. Um, <laughs> this is awful. It's more awful that I'm like. It's more awful because it's hilarious. But no. Okay. What do you think of what do you think of uh, medical assistance and dying? Uh, I try, I tried to sign up for it and they wouldn't let me. You heard it here, folks. They still have, you know, there are these, like, critiques. Did you actually? Yeah, I sent them an email. I was like, I want to kill myself uh, with with medically assisted dying. Um, and uh, I think I have to wait till March to reapply, because that's when they they are allowing uh, mentally ill people to do it. Wait, I'm not, I'm not sure how many layers of irony this is on now. 
I'm trying to. I'm seeing how far I can get. <laughs> yeah, be, because yeah, exactly right. This is like this is like actual journalism. Uh, you had all these. Uh, you had all these basically like investigative journalists just like call call the hotline, right? So I think any data point we can get on how how selective they are with actually screening these things is like actually you know somewhat breaking news. Yeah, no, I, I read through. I mean, it, it it's not as quite as um. It's not quite as extreme as I think a lot of people think it is where you just like you call them up in a fit of desperation. They come and stick a needle in your neck. It's a it's kind of a long drawn out process. And really, it's just a it's a means of like getting rid of people who are taking up too much resources in the medical system. Um, and hopefully, you know, there would be some overlap between people who actually want that. And but, you know, that's hopefully that's uh, hopefully I mean, probably not. Realistically, it's just like you have you have not fulfilled your productive purpose you are a drain. Get out of here, please. Um, and uh, that's all in service to the god of techno capital. But I don't think about that anymore. All I think about is, oh boy, uh, I I hope I can hope I can I hope they will, I hope they'll kill me. See, this is why you're my favorite centrist. Exactly. <laughs> so, do you think like I don't know? Do you think there's any kind of coercion involved there? Um, coercion. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, you get like, you know, the, the way, like, I don't know. It's, it's difficult to say, like, it depends on how you want to look at it. Like if you're taking it from an individualistic perspective, like if someone wants to die and they, they want to go through this process of dying, um, then like, it's different if you know that you have the option, like just knowing that you have the option to kill yourself changes things. Um, but also like, you can always kill yourself. I mean, you like it's just levels of difficulty. I don't know. I don't know. You 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 hear you hear a lot of shocking reports of like, oh, they offered this veteran assisted dying, but then it's like, okay, let's look at this veteran's life. It's actually a, you know, there's a good case to be made that you'd want to press the eject button on this life. Um, yeah, like this person was like what paralyzed, like seriously. Yeah, and um, has and has just been in the and you know like uh, the hospital. Here, at the end of the day, hospital wait times are very long. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get a. This is in Canada. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to get a. I'm trying to get a doctor here, okay? And it's all these crotchety boomers taking up the place. I say, uh, soil and green them. Oh my! Just, just, just half of them though. I'm a centrist. Half of them. You can. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Okay, so I will be excitedly looking forward to the replies on this podcast. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you're over 65, get out of here. You're done. Oh right? my goodness. You're done. Is this... <laughs> Damn, okay, okay, okay. I will drink uh, you, you think- a smoothie. As my one meal replacement. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, okay. What, what do you think of? So, what do you think of the the uh, folk story uh, in this context? Um, in the context of like mm, medically assisted dying, or or just in the context of like people debating whether you know it should be easier for people to kill themselves. Um... I guess I guess in the context of medically assisted dying. Hmm. Uh, hmm. 
Well, I don't really know. I mean, like, if it's extremely, like, there's probably like a spectrum of, like, you can never kill yourself. Like, you, like they, they won't even let you, like, climb a building to jump off of it. Uh, you just have to, like, continue to live no matter what. So, like, even, like, killing yourself is never an option. It's not something you can even consider logically. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, it's like the moment you want to die, you just die. Like, you you can just think at once, fleetingly, and it's like, okay, that's enough. And then obviously that's a, that's bad. So um, the nice middle position is uh, people who want to die, die. And uh, and we only use it to prevent uh, suffering and stuff. Um, the, obviously there's an allure of death. Uh, no one, But there's also an allure of like living forever it's like so that, that that's another problem of extreme some people want to live forever some people want to die immediately um i say just live a normal human life be normal you weirdos stop reading critical stop reading theory okay just stop reading and stop reading all right <laughs> stop thinking about philosophy and the allure of death just go outside plant your garden grow a tomato do a single push-up you'll I just I, that that's all you got to do instead that's what i say Wise advice. Wise advice. Uh, have you done those things today? You know it. <laughs> garden. I went went out and gardened in the snow. Got my thirty five minutes of vitamin D that you get in this godforsaken country. Where are you in Canada exactly? Um, I am in Waterloo, Ontario. Oh, okay. Interesting. Not too far. Not too far. Yeah, you, you're still in Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I had, I don't know what this says about me, but I had this habit a few years ago. I haven't done this for like a few years now, but I had this habit a few years ago of just like going to major Canadian cities and like I live in Canada, but going to major Canadian cities and just walking around at night, like walking around from like 10 PM to like 5 AM mm-hmm. and just seeing and, and this is something that would that would never work in American cities for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But Ottawa, Ottawa was one of the most interesting places, I think, because this was like mostly the downtown area, like near Parliament. You know, there was just there was just a lot of activity that was like i think like the stereotypical activity is like basically people either like partying or people basically like people who are enjoying themselves a little too much or people who are definitely not enjoying themselves right um and to me like ottawa had this kind of like you know like ottawa is almost open like 24 24 7 that's the vibe it gives to me like people were just like behaving normally Hmm. in the middle of the night did you get the i mean like not necessarily in terms of like people in the middle of the night but do you you get that the feeling about ottawa that you know it is just kind of like this unchanging very very like centrist place uh well i yeah i would definitely say it's a very status quo orienting uh, oriented you know it's like um, it's very it's very conservative in in the sense that it's like very obsessed with order and the way yeah, it's very institutional, are. right? Yeah, it's very institutional, but not conservative and like like culturally conservative. It's like it's like very it's like liberal in a conservative way, like in a very conservative way. Um, 
in terms of its politics and everything. And, um, and the people in it are like, yeah, they're just status quoists. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're in Ottawa cause you want a, a government job where you can spin around in your underwear, you know, so on your chair and get paid. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely like, you know, the, the joke of, of trying to become mayor of Ottawa, it was kind of just like Ottawa is like a very status quo oriented town that does not do any big ideas. So running on just like a huge idea platform is, was kind of like an inside joke to me. It was also, it was also a bit of an inside joke of like, like wall off the centrists away from everybody else. And like, it's a centrist town and like the East hates Ottawa and the West hates Ottawa. So it's like, they really, they should be teaming up to destroy Ottawa. Does um, the East hate Ottawa? Well, like, you mean like Quebec? Say, yeah, they complain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like Quebec kind of hate. I don't think the pra- the prairies hate Ottawa. I think the pra- or not the prairies. I don't think like the the Atlantic hates Ottawa. Like they they're no. Like... Yeah. No. I, I don't. I don't include the Atlantic in that equation. That's that's uh that's Hairby Dragons area. <laughs> yeah. You just you know you just walk onto like the coast of Labrador and you know dragons. Very very, very well known fact Labr- of uh Labr- dragons. Canadian. Canadian biology, right there. Mm-hmm. Um, Canadian ecology. What's your favorite YouTube channel? Uh, I don't know if I've got a favorite. I watch too much YouTube to really, really pick. Um, but if I had to, hmm, what am I most interested in right now? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing that's really grabbed my attention to the point where I'm like, aha, this is what I'm obsessed with at the moment. Um, let me think, let me think there's, uh, my, I, I'm just going through my, my subscription list. Okay. There's a very good, uh, animator called Yotam Peril. Um, and his, his animations don't get a lot of views, but like, he's, he's really good and he's very, uh, very funny. And I've watched him since I was literally like 10 and he makes these, uh, videos. He makes these like a uh, birthday update videos where he like writes a song about his life and he's been doing that every year for Aww. like 16 years. Um, so like I, I, I remember like I was maybe like five or something. I, I don't know. I was probably like 10 when I saw his like I'm 20, you know, thing. And then like I'm, you know, 25 now and he's making like his I'm 30, 31 uh, songs. Is this um, just your alt account? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Um, but uh, I relate to him, which is part of partially why I like him. Uh, let me see. There's value select really good. He's like, he's like, he does all the green screen stuff I do, except with like actual production value and high quality stuff. And I'm working on a collab with him. Um, and uh, I was just scrolling. I'm scrolling and like, you'd think I'd have more, more YouTube channels that I, that I really like, but I don't know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of YouTube, like a lot of my friends have like, who have like Instagram followings have started YouTube channels. So like, I'm excited to see where they go and what they do. But at this point, like, because I'm a YouTuber, it kind of feels like it's hard to pick a favorite, uh, YouTube channel because I like, um, like I, I know the people behind them. And so it's kind of like, like, who's your favorite friend? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I have too many friends. Um, I would say if I had to, okay. There's this, there's this podcast called Business Money Hacks Podcast. It has 400 subscribers. Um, and it's, it's like really good. It's like two people pretending, it's basically two people doing like kind of post ironic, um, businessman characters where they're like, 
it's, it's kind of hard to tell what they, what they really think about like business and money and all that stuff, but they're basically <laughs> like telling you how to like hack, hack your business to make a bunch of money. Um, they're really good. And that's so probably my favorite podcast. Oh, there's also, okay, here, here, here's my final answer. Uh, I'm getting more and more niche. There's this guy called Daddy D. He has a hundred subscribers. Um, and he does rap songs and he does rap songs by like, he plays the rap song from his, um, from his like laptop or whatever. And then he just like kind of freestyle raps over it with using like a horrible quality microphone. And, uh, and like, you can tell he's like improvising everything that he's doing as he's doing it. Um, and it's, it's amazing. He's by, by far my favorite rapper. Um, and I, yeah, I heartily recommend you check out daddy D that, that if I, if I wanted to shout at anybody it would be daddy D. Okay. What, what do you think? Okay. How do you, I, what do you think of JJ McCullough? Uh, JJ McCullough. Well, I love that guy. He's a centrist just like me. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. What, what do you think of his kind of like perception of the, of the middle class? Well, you know what I say? The middle class is the middle and the middle is the best. So it's the best class. Um, and I think JJ and I agree on that. Middle class, good. Lower class, upper class. You know, before I would have said there was some sexual tension between these classes. They need to, they need to start connecting, but, and the middle class is just kind of cock blocking them. But nope, now I think middle class is good class. Um, I guess it's his, his conception is like his view of capitalism is basically like, capitalism is when I buy Funko Pop, and I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so do you, I don't know, have you ever read uh, Bertrand de Juvenal? Oh yeah, I, I'm a big reader of Bertrand de Juvenal. You know, my favorite part about Bertrand de Juvenal is that he was a French philosopher, political economist, and futurist <laughs> teaching at Oxford University, University of Cambridge, Manchester, Yale, uh, and, uh, and uh, he was Jewish. Daughter of Jewish industrialist, uh, Sarah. Uh, he was the son of Henry de Juvenal and Sarah Bonus, the daughter of Jewish industrialist. Is that actually is that actually what his Wikipedia page says? Okay, so <laughs> what it says. Notable ideas. I, I, I also know his notable idea was high-low versus middle dynamic, which I'm sure we're going to get into right now. Yes. Yes. Um, is he basically saying like what? Wait, so the... have you read him or not? No, <laughs> I don't read. I'm telling you. Okay, no. The problem with your character is I don't know if I like. You've clearly read a lot of Nick Land, right? But I don't know when you tell me when you tell me you don't read. I don't know if that's true or not. Oh no, I don't read. I don't, I've never read Nick Land. Are you kidding me? Have you tried reading Nick Land? It's just <laughs> fucking gobbledygook. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, whatever. Uh. So, um, yeah, tell me about him. Who's Bertrand de Juvenal? I, I guess he has some sort of theory about the ups and the downs, teaming yeah. up to beat the meds. I'm in the middle of, of reviewing a book that, that like, is supposed to be a more compact summary of another book that, uh, that mentions de Juvenal. <laughs> that goes over the work of I see. Uh, de Juvenal. Um, and this seemed like something, actually, like, if I ever get if I ever get JJ on the podcast, I want to ask him about Bertrand de Juvenal. Um, but his conception, uh, or like my, my, you know, my reading, this is also, this is what I should preface most of my references with is that my perception of de Juvenal and the high low middle is essentially that, you know, there's this middle class, um, that isn't necessarily economic, but is basically the people who have 
non-state institution ties, right? So this is a very like kind of um, communitarian reading of it where, you know, you have a bunch of people who are basically loyal to their families, loyal to their communities, small communities, loyal to their church and so on and so forth. And then both the kind of quote unquote high, basically like elites and low, basically people who are dispossessed, um, uh, are obviously different from this. And the way that ha- people who are quote unquote high gain power is that they, um, they offer to patronize the dispossessed and they go in and they break down these kind of, uh, these kind of social bonds. And I've always been skeptical. I, I think like my review of this chapter of this book on the juvenile is mostly critical, but I, I do want to think like what, what you, or I, w- I want to see what you think of this as well. I think I think that idea is uh, is like very childish, you know. It's very very it's very overly simplified. In fact, I would call it juvenile, if you will. <laughs> um, I think JJ's actually made that argument to me. I think he said something exactly like that, where he's like, uh, "There's this argument that like the middle class is just being squeezed." Because the upper class cares for the lower class, like the elites only care about the lower class; they don't care about the middle class. And uh, and 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 as and as a centrist, I say, oh no, because I want the middle class to thrive, and I also want the other ones to thrive too, but only a little bit. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because a lot of you know, like people usually people who read De Juvenel are like very you know. Um, you know, they're, they're more associated with, like, the Curtis Yarvin types, right? Less associated with, like, centrists. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I... Uh, 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 well, in that case, then I denounce. <laughs> nice, nice. This is, this is, this is wonderful. Okay. I don't know, what inspired you to become a centrist? Well, uh, JJ McCullough, actually, he, uh, he convinced me. Uh, do you want to expand more? Sure. Uh, how did this happen? How did this happen? Well, you know, first, first I was talking to JJ McCullough as an enemy. I disagreed with him on every point. Um, but then, you know, he slowly opened my mind with facts and logic and I came around to it and I thought, yep, centrism, that's the way to go. It was also because uh, I got a call from CSIS, and they were like, they were like, cut it out. I'm like, okay, CSIS. Understandable. Very, very good reason to make political decisions. Fear. All my political decisions are based solely on fear. Yeah, you know, like in Machiavelli, right? It's better to be, it's, it's better to be feared than to be loved. Right. Know, and, anyone loves CSIS? And, and and on my end, it's better to be afraid than to feel love. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, that's such a good line. That's such a good line. Um, you know, does anyone love CSIS? Does anyone have affection for CSIS? I don't know. Like some people had affection for like the Bush security state, right? Mm. I wonder if we ever got that in Canada. I don't know. I was born too late for those people, anyway. Like you know, the mo- the moment actually, you know, like the moment I got. Uh, I started, you know, writing about politics or even just like really observing it. Or like not necessarily the moment, but by that time, conservatives already had turned against the Bush 
um, Bush um, security state. This was like, I don't know, 2018, 2019. Hmm. So I never got to experience, you know, like boomer conservatism at its peak. Well, you should talk to JJ because he'd probably still defend a security state or whatever. Be really? Like, okay. Actually, CSIS is good. And I like it a lot. And people are scared of nothing. If you've got nothing to hide, you know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, you should, you, should, you should talk to him. He, he could, he'd probably go on the cast. Hello, viewers. View, you know, they're still they're still viewing. Not looking at you, but they're viewing. <laughs> they're viewing something. They're viewing something. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. Like, I wanted to talk a lot about theory, and it seems like you do not. You're not into. I don't know. I mainly based this off of you know the, your conversation with. Um, I forget who it's with now, but the title of the podcast was called "The Autism Is the Message." Oh um, yeah, schizotopia. I mean, yeah. Did did we talk about theory there? Yeah, so much. Well, you know, some I, I due to the schizophrenia, I sometimes fade in and out of uh, of ability to talk about things. Um, pff, uh, we can talk about theory. Let's talk about theory. You just have to. Uh, I'll just look it up on Wikipedia. You bring up a you bring up a topic. I'll look it up. Okay, like I really do want to get into more of like McLuhanism and like kind of like D like Catherine D style McLuhanism where you know the internet as a medium is basically spawning all of these weird like online cults um Mm -hmm. what do you think what do you think is the relationship between the internet and like the intensity of belief right because I think like this was my belief as well for a long time there's like a naive reading of this which is like oh the internet makes everything a lot more transactional and a lot a lot more like low stakes right and anonymous but the thing that this actually breeds is a kind of like very intense political belief, right? So, so like, first of all, like, do you agree with that assessment? And if you do, uh, why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's, I think it can breed. Uh, I think the internet makes autists and schizophrenics. The autists, people who are more likely to become autistic, are people who are more likely to just take everything at face value and get really deep into something. So those are the people who are going to become radicalized online. But I think the other half of people are going to become schizophrenics and they're going to have so much noise and, and no filter for it that they become overwhelmed. And it's actually going to make them harder to believe things. Okay, so one group of people become become basically, you know, like extreme. Other, wait, but it seems like the people who kind of like take in a lot of noise, you know, like, like, like I would like if there was one commentator online that I would consider like a, a schizo, it would be like Alex Jones. Right? Am I getting the classification wrong? Would you consider Alex Jones a schizo? Yeah, Alex Jones is definitely a schizo. Okay. Yeah. So, so like to me, it seems like the people who are schizos, they don't become, you know, they don't become mutual. They become like more extreme than anything. Well, that guy's that guy's autismophrenic, clearly. Okay. So, so he's like both. Okay. I don't know. Like, I I would not. Wait. Like, okay. How do you define these things? But let's kind of slow down here. How do you define autist and schizo? An autist can get really deep into one thing. Um, it has a ver- really strong vertical movements uh, down a rabbit hole. And a schizo has really strong lateral movements across topics. And uh, so a schizo is like more likely to, you know, see all different, you know, possible ideologies all at once. And 
if there's so many ideologies, how can I pick just one? And, you know, which one is the right one? And then an autist is, doesn't ask these questions. They're just like, let me read more communist theory. Beep, boop, beep, boop, boop. And they get really deep into it. So Alex Jones, he has a lot of the, the you know, schizophrenia and autism both have a lot of character characteristics to them. But one of the characteristics of schizophrenia is this like paranoia of like, and then, you know, once you get autismophrenic, it's like you're connecting all of these like very deep abstract and you're going vertical, vertical, lateral, lateral, vertical, vertical, lateral, lateral. Whereas a normal person is just like doing a little bit of vertical, a little, little bit of lateral. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd say Alex Jones is probably autismophrenic leaning, leaning schizo, but like he, the, the autism part of the Alex Jones framework is like, the idea that the world is run by a shadowy cabal, blah, blah, blah. Like if you keep coming back to that, it's an autistic thing. If you can't, if you can't even focus on the shadowy cabal, like then it's a schizophrenic thing and he can focus on the shadowy cabal. So it's, it's kind of like autismophrenia. Okay. So I, I think I'm still having a pretty tough time using, trying to like basically extrapolate this. Like, okay. So who is someone who is like, Schizo- who's like an internet personality who's like schizophrenic but not autistic? Oh, good question. Schizophrenic but not autistic. Um, um, hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is this just an, an, an is this just like an entry in the quadrant that's just blank? Uh, I mean. I guess, uh, I guess the, the like uh, an internet personality, it's hard to, it's hard to really be a, um, a schizo internet personality. Cause you, you have to like internet personalities get popular by getting really into something. Like you get, you, you, you get, you're like, like you, you have a niche, you talk about something, you're about something. A schizophrenic is too scattered to like talk about something long enough to become famous on the internet. I mean, like maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, you'd have to you'd have to find like a homeless guy and just film him for a while and have him like rant about a bunch of bunch of shit that's all over the place. The thing the thing is it's like horseshoe theory. The more schizophrenic you get, like if, if you get to a really like really schizophrenic place, then you're probably going to start having elements of autism. This is why if you go far left enough, you become a Nazbol. It's all it's all interconnected. You see, it's horseshoe theory. Yeah. So. Okay. Is there an example of like an autist? Or like an internet autist who is not a schizo? Another great question. See, I'm a schizo. So when I'm making this autism schizophrenia framework, I'm only I'm only looking at it from a very high level. Like so abstract that I don't have any examples to give you. That that's a that's a characteristic of schizophrenia. Um I'm not getting deep into it enough to actually flesh it out. An autistic person hears that framework and they're like, I need examples. I need concrete examples. <laughs> <laughs> And so that, that's that's where this communication is breaking down here. I'm just I'm just saying stuff. I don't actually take the framework seriously enough to actually uh, defend it. It's just it's just kind of like an idea I'm throwing out, and then it dissolves around me, and then I return to the formless noise from whence I came. Okay, okay. So so we we've inadvertently answered both of these questions. Wonderful. Okay. So it's just you and me, buddy. You and me. How, how does this how does this kind of go with the kind of online I, I think like this is interesting let me just pull up pull up this tweet I think like you know like Matthew Iglesias of course yeah is he your favorite centrist 
Matthew Ignatius. Well, uh, hmm. Matthew Ignatius Sullivan was the 16th Chief Justice of California, appointed by Governor Hiram Johnson. Sullivan served from August 22nd, 1914 to January 4th, 1915. No, no, no. Matthew Iglesias. Not... Let me just give you his Twitter. Iglesias. Oh, with a Y. Right, right, I see. Yeah, no, no, yeah. No, no, now I know what you're talking about. Sorry, I just know so many people. I, I obviously know you're talking about Matthew Iglesias, a liberal American blogger and journalist who writes about economics and politics. Iglesias has written columns and articles for publications such as the American Prospects, The Atlantic, and Slate. In November 2020, he left his position as an editor and columnist in the blogs which Substack letter. Slow, boring. Of course. Of course. I love Substack, and I love specifically the Substack Slow, Boring. What's your favorite Slow, Boring article? Well, if I, just off the top of my head, I'm going to say uh, Wednesday thread. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me about Matthew uh, Iglesias. Yeah, so he's kind of like, yeah, I think he's like this vaguely economic left, or he's like clearly economic, or like he's like very clearly economic left and then like vaguely, you know, democratic party aligned person. He's become like very famous. He co-founded Vox and then left Vox and then started writing on Substack. Mm. Um, yeah, this was quite okay. What was my, what the heck was my original question? I was going to write something down and just completely forgot. No, maybe I'm a Shizo now. Okay, no. Um, yeah, what the hell was I going to ask about Matthew Iglesias? Hmm. Oh, right, right. He had this. He had this tweet that was like, "It's it's very strange how people go from like ve- being very far left." I think he was responding to like, I think I said, I gave like the example of like Glenn Greenwald, right? He was responding to that, and he said something like. Uh, it's very strange how people go from being very far left to very, um, to like in his view, very far right, um, and and they like never they like never stop in the middle. Do you think it's it's a ten- it's because of like this kind of like autistic or sh- or schizophrenic tendency? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think well, part of the centrist side joke is that like in my view, uh, black and white think thinkers have more in common with each other than like shades of gray thinkers. Right. Um, so it's just funny to imagine, like, from my perspective as a centrist, the black and white thinkers all teaming up to kill me because they both disagree with me. Right. Because, like, it's almost like it makes more sense for them to, to team up against me as a centrist. So. No, but like. Do you like, think that there is a kind of right? Like, I mean, you're still like the person. A person who is far left in the first place is a black and white thinker. So when they swap, it's not like they swap to a more uh, like moderate, de-radicalized middle ground. It's like they swap to the other side. They're like, I was the bad guy, and now I'm the good guy. It's not like, oh, I'm. A, it's this, everything is complicated. It's like I was bad, and now I'm good. Hmm. Yeah, there's this kind of like there's this, like redemption arc, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, a lot of the, I mean, especially if you were in, in far-left politics for the community, 
well, guess what? Like, like far-right politics for the community. Let's say we de-radicalize a far-right person who has a community. Okay, great. Now they've just got no community. So, like, we have to re-radicalize them, basically. Okay, but is that true of, like, famous people as well, right? Is that true of, like, Glenn Greenwald? Um, well, I think the thing with uh, Glenn Greenwald is specifically uh, that he's an American journalist, author, and lawyer in 2014 who co-founded Intercept, of which he was an editor until he resigned in 2020. Um, and, you know, based off that, there's a lot to say. I mean, education, George Washington University, BA, genre, nonfiction, notable works, Citizen Four, political views, George W. <laughs> okay, I'm so, stop. Um... Does this is is this what happened with Greenwald? I don't know. I, I think Greenwald probably just came to these conclusions, um, just on his own. I mean, has he has he has he really changed his political stance like that much over the years? Yeah, that, that was my point in response to to Matt. Right, is that you know it's basically like the same kind of like the like articulated views, like the propositional claims of Greenwald are the same. It's just that the political valence has changed, right? You know, like he 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 pub- he's famous for publishing like the Snowden stuff, right? He just really hates the sur- he really hates the surveillance state, mm. and that's just gone from being like a very re- left coded belief to being a very right coded belief, right? There, there's this kind of like shifting underground of a lot of these political beliefs, right? Um, I mean, like. I guess conservatives would say the same thing about cultural issues. They'd be like, I was a liberal, but then the leftists went too far and now I'm far right, I guess. No, like that, that's not, no, that's like the opposite of what I mean, right? That's where like the political, the positions of the political parties actually, the position, that's kind of like a normal view of politics, right? Like a party Mm -hmm. becomes more extreme. This is kind of like the opposite. Right, like both parties, like like basically the parties switched on the issue of surveillance. Right, it's like it's like literally the opposite of this. Right. So, like, right like what you're saying, right, is like the left party just became like more left. Right. That, that's not they, what they, I mean. Like that that kind of makes sense. Right. What doesn't make sense is like them basically going like 360 on these positions. Um. Like in your view, though, the left wing is pro surveillance state, and the right wing is anti surveillance state. Not even just in my view, like in, in what's it in, in like literally just like the favorability ratings of the FBI, right? Like if you do a poll now, the left wing is now more in favor of the FBI than the right wing. Right. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I mean, shit's whack, yo. Uh. But I. I mean, uh, I, it's not like. It's not too hard to see why that is. Uh, it's like the left wing is associated with like a bunch of different shit, but they're trying to establish essentially a goal of like cultural leftism and sometimes economic leftism. And then the right wing, they're trying to establish a goal of cultural rightism and sometimes economic rightism, whatever. Um, and there's all these things that are associated with it that they use as tools to push their positions. And then as context changes, as context has changed, you know, the the world we live in now is very different from 30 years ago. Uh, these things that they're associated with change as well. So, I mean, some people are more focused on certain issues in those baskets, and some people are more focused on identifying with the 
with the group. So it seems like Greenwald is more of a identify with a specific issue kind of guy. And uh, yeah, I don't know, makes sense. Okay. Um, I'm really trying to get into like, you know, a drag theory of the internet here, right? Like, okay, well, maybe I should do it this way. Like, what's the question that I should ask you about the internet? Uh, how do I, how do I, how do you get off of it? How do you get off of the internet? Uh, you can't. <laughs> I, I don't have, um, I don't have a theory of everything. That's like an autism thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm much more schizophrenic than I am autistic. I'm trying to become autismophrenic, but it's difficult. W- wouldn't that make it harder to be centrist? Uh, yeah, that's why I'm really overcompensating here. Rated, rated. I see. Okay, uh, understandable. Um... So, okay, you want a theory of the internet? Here, I'll, I'll give you a theory of the internet. All right, boom. Okay. Um, okay, so the internet makes schizophrenics and autists. It's a, and it also deterritorializes. It, it 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 takes these big monolithic structures. And it smashes them to bits. And it makes all these little individual pieces flying everywhere. And it does this with everything. It does this with your identity structure. Uh, it does it with... Uh, it's a noise machine as well. It's, it, it, it creates a bunch of noise. It's, it's throwing a bunch of facts at you like I am now. And it's like a dream, you know? In a dream, a bunch of stuff happens to you. And you wake up and then you piece it all together in your mind. And you're like, ah, it must have made, made sense. But really, it was just a bunch of stimulus. Anyway, so the internet's this noise machine. And people react to noise in different ways. Some people, either way, you go insane. But you go insane in one of two ways. You can either accept all the noise at once. And then all these little individual pieces of information are floating around your head. And you don't know what to trust. Because you don't have any framework for, like, who do you, who do you trust? You can't even trust yourself. Because you're the worst of them all. You're, the, you're, you're just a worm. But then some people go insane in the other direction. And they're like, aha, yes. Mm, these points are linking together and I'm going to grab onto these like I'm going to like I'm rushing towards a waterfall but I found a rock I'm going to grab onto this rock and then if I ever let go of this rock I die because that's how they think it's like I need this information to ground my identity in reality and that's what JJ McCullough does with his Funko Pops that's what I'm telling you man JJ McCullough and his Funko Pops he uses the Funko Pops as totems to ground them in reality he uses consumerism as a way of and so that his ego doesn't float off into space and he needs to ground himself in these in these realities and that's what we're all doing that's what we're all doing but he's He's a little bit older than us, so he, you know, he didn't have to. His Ryan didn't get ruined by the internet like mine did, like yours did, like ours did. And then, uh, so anyway, so you. Uh, rated. Rated. Disparated. I'm going to look up rated on the Wikipedia page of Glenn Green, Greenwald. Reinvigorated. Incorporated. Exaggerated, moderated, and seen. Okay, I was wondering. I was wondering whether I could get more of you from uh, from um, pressing, keeping the mute button on. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Uh-huh. So, okay, I'm, I'm basically going to try to decipher this right. Very autistic way of doing this. Um, so. Okay. So in this, in this conception of the internet, so the internet, uh, the internet basically promotes the autists and, and schizos. And then where does it go from there? Like, I don't understand. Like, what is actually? I don't understand what I'm saying. I'm just saying things. Uh, okay. So it okay. goes, it goes from, um, 
Uh, yeah, so it, it promotes autists and schizos because it, it's a noise machine and noise makes people go insane because humans weren't meant to know everything, okay? We're meant to have little small tiny oh, roles. Stop, stop absorbing information. You're not allowed anymore. No more information for you. Sit alone in a room with your own thoughts for five seconds. No, you can't do it. You need more information. Okay, so you get more information. Bam, 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 bam. Okay, now I know everything. Was I supposed to know everything? No, I don't want to know everything. Let's say the world is run by shadowy elites. I was happier not knowing that. Alex Jones is right, but he's also uh, he's also a jerk for, for for telling me about it. I don't want to know about this stuff. I want to live. I want to live in a in a in a bunker. I would have three guys. That's what my brain was designed for. Okay, hundred people max in a small community. Instead, I got to know about some some guy in some place because he's a leader and he's bombing. And now my gas is is higher. Anyway. Uh, too many lateral connections. See, that's what I'm doing. A conversation is a bunch of lateral moves. That's why autistic people have, have trouble like having conversations with you because they just want to talk about trains. And I don't know anything about trains, okay? But I can I can listen. Tell me about trains. What what tell me about trains. Give me a moment. Yes. 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 In rail transport, yes. the train. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> From old French Yes. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> the series of connected Okay. Actually no. Even even better idea. Even better idea. Okay, I'll keep reading for, from the Wikipedia article for, for now. Trains are, are typically pulled or pushed by locomotives, often mm-hmm. known simply as engines. Some mm-hmm. are self-propelled, such as uh, multiple units. Passengers and cargoes are carried in railroad cars, uh, also known as wagons. Trains are designed to a certain gauge or distance between rails. Okay, okay, okay. More interesting time. Okay, chat GPT, tell me about trains. Hmm. Okay. Trains are a type of transportation that operate on a network of tracks. They're powered by one or more engines, and they transport people and goods from one, from one place to another. Trains have been in use for over two centuries and are an important mode of transportation for both passengers and freight. There are many types of trains, including passenger trains, freight trains, and streetcars. Trains are known for being a relatively fast and efficient way to travel, and they're often used to cover long distances. Mm. In addition to transporting people and goods, trains also play a role in the transportation of energy, such as coal and oil. Hmm. See, if I was a little bit more deeper into trains, right, I could be the kind of person that, that gets into fights with people over what, what kind of train is the best. I always wished I always wished I was that kind of person, you know, okay. someone, someone who could focus in on trains long enough so that they develop opinions and they like care, like their morality and values are bound up in trains and then they can like fight people who care about trains. Like, yeah, no, it's the F-16. That's my favorite ship. No, no, it's the F-27. That's the best. People, people will go at each other's throats about this. Yeah, you'll you'll really like this. So, so you know, like the reputation of the University of Waterloo, right here in Canada. Yeah, I vaguely know. I mean, my brother went there. Um, not well, not possibly the most autistic university. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. So there's a class. Okay. There's a class. There's like a fourth year computer science class at Waterloo. I'm not sure if you know about this, where you just like program a train from like scratch. Oh. Yeah, you you take like all of the you take all of the memory that's actually on like the rail system and on the train itself and so on and so forth. I, I, I'm not too familiar with this because I'm not a I'm not a computer science student. But um, yeah, you, you basically like it, it is 
very much like you know like they, they keep making like movies about you know like autist geniuses who really like trains it, it is like that but like in an actual university class yeah that's pretty funny <laughs> um because uh, you know what, what i hear a lot is like oh actually you know autism and trains that's like a stereotype it's specifically for like little boys and you know, all kinds of people have autism, you know, girls have autism. There's a big, big resurgence of, of, of woman autism on the gram, let me tell you. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's funny. <laughs> I don't know, it makes sense. Uh, not too surprising. Waterloo does strike me as exceptionally autistic. Um, so yeah. Right. Um... No, no, no. Do you, you, do you know have a theory really, of why? You know, really autistic, though. The effective altruist motherfuckers. Those guys are all <laughs> autism. Yeah, effective autism. This is like a, yeah, this is like a well-known meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, because I, uh, I didn't know about them until I was in, uh, I was in Texas. And I hung out with uh, this, I don't know, one of my friends invited me, like, oh, there's this group. So I was hanging out with this group. And I was like, something's off here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway they're they're definitely they're definitely all autistic i mean that self-admittedly like it's not i'm not uh, diagnosing them like they're just clearly autistic um <laughs> yeah so do you think do you think you know their autism leads them to extreme places uh i think part of autism is black and white thinking wait do you think that's okay that's that's really interesting because there are like a lot of autistic centrists Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like, you can you can be a black and white centrist thinker. I mean, it's definitely possible. Okay, that's... It depends what axis you're going on, like, uh, okay. like, why, like why, why are you a centrist? What's, what's, what part of the black and whiteness of it? Um, like, if you're, like, I mean, then, then again, there's also, there's also some people, some people are artismophrenic. And then that, that complicates things. That's, that's just what I use as a, if somebody doesn't fit the autism framework, I say, aha, it's horseshoe theory. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like tarot reading, you know, no matter what pops up, you can, you can make it fit. Or Myers-Briggs. What, what's your Myers-Briggs type? Uh, I have no idea. It changes every time I take it. No, no, no. It's impossible. It's science. I N T. Hmm, is it a P or a J for you? It could be a J. INTJ? Uh I'm I'm like only I like half of the time. Okay, XNT. I think like I think like the thing that flips most is like the first letter. Like I think like I go from like INTP to ENTP a lot. I, I keep like doing this because I always I'm actually pretty interested in, you know, like why this happens. I take this like every like few months. Okay, wait. So what we're gonna do. What we're gonna do. Okay, this maybe is a good way to get this. Okay. I'm gonna ask you a few questions, okay? Completely unrelated questions. Okay. Okay, wait, wait. Is this the right version? I think this is the right per- right version. So I'm gonna ask you to put these on a scale from like one to seven. Okay. Okay. You regularly make new friends. Uh, three point five. Oh no! Oh no! No, it has to be a number. It has to be a number. Also, uh, the, the median of the numbers from one to seven is four. By the way, it's not mean, even three. It has to be an integer. Yeah. Um. Uh. Three. Wait, well, no, no, four, four. I'm gonna put three. 
Okay. You spend a lot of your free time exploring various topics that pique your interest. Four. Oh, fuck. Seeing other people cry can easily make you feel like you want to cry, too. Three. Okay. You often make a backup plan for a backup plan. Four. You usually stay calm, even under a lot of pressure. Uh, Okay, hold on. I got to do some math here. How do I make this balance out? Three, four. (laughs) So I'm getting... There's seven questions. Oh, man. Okay, so... There's more than seven questions. Oh, okay. All right. In that case, four. (laughs) Oh, no. At social events, you rarely try to introduce yourself to new people and mostly talk to the ones you already know. Three. Okay. You prefer to completely finish one project before starting another. (laughs) The actual answer there is like... Um, like, z- like, uh, like zero, but three, okay. I'm going to put, I'm going to put one. You're very sentimental. Um, four. You like to use organizing tools such as schedules and lists. Three. Even a small mistake can cause you to doubt your overall abilities and knowledge. Uh, I got to balance out the one. So seven. <laughs> you feel comfortable just walking to someone walking up to someone you find interesting and striking off a conversation. Four. You're no, you are not too interested in discussing various interpretations and analyses of creative works. Three. Okay. You're more inclined to follow... Why is this so long? You're more inclined to follow your head than your heart. Is this the entire MBTI? <laughs> yes. Hey, listen. I'm, I'm an MBTI expert. I hung out with Frank James, who's an MBTI YouTuber for a month. And he, he MBTI-pilled me. You can't do the test. That's not how it works. You go off cognitive functions. So the way you figure this out is you don't, don't do the test. Otherwise, you're just doing the big five personality traits, which is a separate thing, which you should do and is more valid. But if you're doing MBTI, it's like it's your cognitive functions. If you're an ENTP, your dominant cognitive function is extroverted intuition, which is schizophrenia, which is lateral connection. <laughs> um, and if That's you're, going in the clips. That's going in the clips. And if you're an INTP, then your dominant cognitive function is introverted thinking, which is autism. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like really deep into something. So, you know, if you're an XNTP, that means you're balancing schizophrenia and autism within that head of yours, which is great. I'm glad to hear it. Is this, is this a realistic way of thinking about how people process information? Uh, it. I don't look at it if, as if it's realistic or not. I look at it, is it an effective tool to manipulate? Um, and the answer is yes. Is this an Okay. Uh, why is it an effective tool to manipulate? It's broad enough that you can make anything fit with anything. Um, and it's also onto something, but it's not clear how much of it it's onto. And there's a there's a better frameworks out there, like Big Five that exist, but um, they're not as fun because they don't give you like archetypes. What are your big five traits? Uh, I am an ENSTFPJ. What does that mean? It means I'm everything except an introvert. You're everything except an introvert. Okay, so like, okay, so so high or low openness? Um, I'm uh, I'm both high and low. I'm so high. I'm so highly open that I'm actually closed. Okay, uh, high or low neuroticism. Uh, so I'm, I'm so high in neuroticism that because my baseline experience of the world is just like full neuroticism all the time, it actually ends up evening out to having, making me have like a very stable, um, mood. Okay. Uh, high or low extroversion? 
uh, high because introverts are not real. They don't exist. Okay. Understandable. I've, I've never met a single introvert in my life. They've all, they've all just been bad extroverts in my experience. Okay. Agreeableness, high or low. I'm so agreeable that it ends up being disagreeable because I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll do, I'll do anything for you. I'll do anything for you. But deep in my heart, I'm like, fuck this motherfucker. Uploading to YouTube on schedule, high or low? Low. <laughs> Understandable. I don't know. This podcast, this podcast has been surprisingly on schedule. But you know, the reason why I've, I've done like three interviews this week. The reason why it's on schedule is because I just do a bunch of interviews. I schedule them all on Substack and then I forget about them. And then mm. I do it again. And it just happens that like the rate of interviews is high enough that I don't fall behind ever. Hmm. That's a good, that's uh, maybe I should take some notes there. That seems like a good strategy. Yeah. Have you ever had, you know, like the manic work ethic of just doing, you know, like 10 videos at once or something? Not at once, but maybe at once for you. Yeah, people people notice on my channel that like they're like, uh oh, he's going through a manic episode because like I release like one video a day for like a week, and then <clears throat> I actually did that once. I released a video every day for a week, um, and then my last video was the secret to my productivity. I'm like, it's bipolar disorder. Now I have to stare at the ceiling for three weeks, and I didn't post for three weeks. <laughs> uh, is that actually true? Well, I had every mental illness all at once, um, but now I'm, now I'm fine. I'm neurotypical now. Is that actually true? Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> to the extent that we are the stories we tell ourselves. Is that actually true? Yes. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. We got convergence there. Um, what would happen if I told you if there was someone standing next to you who always lies when the other one of you always tells the truth? And I asked the other person whether that was actually true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what would happen, by the way. I just, I just acted it out. Okay. Understandable. Understandable. So no, no, here's, here's the... what would happen. Here's what would happen. I'd be like, no, no, kill him. He's the imposter. <laughs> You know, there are always political theorists among us, but we're running out of political theory. So I'm going to ask you the last question of the show. Uh, of the things that we have not talked about today, not many of those, what is something that requires more order? And what is someone that, something that requires more chaos? Mm. More chaos to the political systems. Um, it's time for time for time for a shake up here. Things have been how they are for too long, and they need to start being more how they're not. So more chaos there, and uh, more order in between, um, in between ideologues, in between extremist factions, in between, in between um, big thinkers. They need to be more orderly in their thoughts, and they need to they need to push their thoughts more. And they need to make themselves heard more and more known and more relevant until you can't ignore them anymore. But and then, these, are, these are exactly the things that we have talked about. This is supposed to be the things that we haven't talked about. Right, 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 right. But okay, okay, okay. So uh, for, for more chaos for uh, Turkey. Fuck Turkey. <laughs> yeah. And more order for, for, for my YouTube upload schedule. 
because <laughs> I'm I, I'm not very good at keeping myself to task. Okay, you you heard it here for, first, folks. No, like, is that the real reason why you're becoming centrist? Because centrists upload on time. Yeah, it's uh, that actually was kind of the reason because I I did a thing where I um I tried to make like I basically did a, a video every day either on my first channel or my second channel or um just in, in the attempt to uh, embody a centrist a conscientious centrist having uh, very good orderly schedules and stuff. I, I feel like if I can integrate that part of my shadow, I'd really be a real Ubermensch. <laughs> Man, okay, it was great. It was great having you on. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Not sure, not sure if I got to ask or answer the questions that I was uh, that I had in in prep. But you know, That's it was fine. a good I'm time. Sure, I'm sure the answers would have been extremely unsatisfying either way. No, yeah, like the most, you know, the most satisfying part of this was just having you read um, uh, invitation to send Thanatos out loud with commentary. That that was great you know, maybe a bit off tone compared to, you know, like, who am I going to have? What does my upload schedule look like? Cactus.substack.com. Okay, like, who is scheduled? Okay, so before you is going to be Sam Hammond. And before that was like a replay of Tyler Cowan. Okay, all the episodes have been like, very serious for a long time. Sam Uberia, Richard Hanania, Okay, that one was more fun. Um, but so, like, yeah, this has been, we've been on serious episodes for a very long time. So, yeah, well, you, know. you, you, you thinker fellas treat yourselves very seriously. Big, big symptom of autism. <laughs> yeah, it's been a very, very autistic podcast for a while. Um, so this is, this is great. Good. This is you gotta balance, you gotta integrate your shadow if you're, if you're on the autism side. You gotta get the schizophrenia in there. Okay. Okay. So thanks for coming on again. Uh, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, it's occurring to me that, like, uh, it's occurring to me that, uh, there's, there's clearly some, some black and white thinking in my own mind. Um, and that's good because of, uh, because I'm trying to integrate the autism, trying to get more and more black and white thinking. This has been, this has been good for me. Um, and, uh, you should, uh, you should, uh, you know, you should, you should, you should reach out to JJ McCall. I think, I think, I think he'll, I think if you use my name, then he'll be more likely to, to come on. All right. Uh, thanks. Thanks for that suggestion as well. Okay. That was my conversation with Greg Guevara. I hope you liked it. If you did, then one thing that you can definitely do is let a friend know, just as I said at the beginning of the episode. Other things you can do to support the show is that you can leave a comment. You can leave a suggestion for a future guest to have on. You can also uh, subscribe to my Substack, where you'll be able to find articles that I write, as well as uh, support the show. And finally, uh, one thing that you can always do is to leave positive reviews or subscribe. Especially do the latter if you want to be able to get the next episode, which comes out every Monday. Goodbye, and make sure to catch the show again next Monday.